welcome back, podcast listeners. Today's episode is the audio from a presentation that I gave to the Occupational Health Clinics for Ontario Workers Organization, or OCAO. This was a video presentation, so I'm also including a link to a YouTube video that has uh, the full uh, presentation on it and a link to download the slides from the presentation if you want to listen to the audio and follow along instead. The content is about rapid antigen testing for COVID-19. Hopefully you will find it useful. Thank you very much. Hello and thank you for inviting me to give this presentation. It is pre-recorded, so I will not be able to take live questions. If you want to send me comments or questions afterwards, you can do so at my Twitter handle, which is at Dionanden, or via my website, dionanden.com. This is my second attempt to record this presentation. The first time the audio didn't work, and it was highly eloquent. Uh, this time around, I might not be as eloquent. Uh, so fair warning. Let's begin. I'm going to talk a bit about rapid antigen testing how we measure the qualities and how best to use them, especially now that we are so deep into the pandemic and we have a new threat, which is Omicron, of course. But let's begin by talking about why we do tests in the first place. And I would argue that there are at least four major roles in society for testing of this nature. Uh, Diagnostic testing, surveillance testing, screening testing, and what I'm going to call reassurance testing. But before I define what those things are, we have to define some other common concepts. First is the false positive. What's a false positive? It's when the test says you have the disease, but you don't really. Similarly, a false negative is when the test says you don't have the disease, but you actually do. Which one do you think is most concerning? Well, they're both concerning, but I would argue that from a public health standpoint, the false negative is most concerning because we don't want people walking around thinking they're not diseased, especially having had a test tell them they're not diseased when in fact they are. That's bad for them, it's bad for us, it's bad for everybody. So the types of tests. I mentioned uh, the diagnostic tests. So imagine you are sick, you go to the hospital, and they have to determine what you have in order to treat you. So they'll give you a diagnostic test to do so. And uh, we'd prefer if this test has very few problems with it. It has a low rate of false positives, a low rate of false negatives, which probably means it's expensive and invasive. So a lot of the the high-tech tests using a variety of scanners and biopsies and so forth would be diagnostic testing. Uh, A screening test, on the other hand, is usually followed up with a confirmatory test if you test positive on the screening test, but not if you test negative. The example I often give is the breast cancer screening. So it tends to have a large number of false positives because we know that if you're positive on the screening test, you'll come into the hospital for a confirmatory biopsy that will rule out those cases in which it was a false positive, but it will capture the ones that are true positives. What we want to do in cases like this is to cast the net wide risk getting a lot of false positives, but have faith that the follow-up, the biopsy, will exclude them eventually. What you don't want is people getting the breast cancer screening, getting a negative screen, when in fact they actually 
are in the early stages of breast cancer. You don't want people walking around with uh, a false sense of security. So with screening tests, we like to have a very low rate of false negatives, but we can tolerate a higher rate of false positives. A surveillance test can be a crappy test overall. With surveillance, all we care about is getting a sense of who's got the disease where and when. So trends. We take a sample of the population, give them a low-quality test, figure out in general how many people have it, and throw them back in. Oftentimes, people who get this test aren't even told the results because the test is of low quality. So wastewater testing for COVID could be a surveillance test. It's low quality, but impactful in the information that it gives us. This last category, reassurance testing, that's a colloquial term. That's when you need a negative test to go back to work, to reassure your employer or your coworkers that you are not diseased. And I would think that this is where the rapid antigen tests most commonly fit into. And by the way, rapid antigen tests, we also call them rat tests because we like fun acronyms like that. The next thing I'm going to disentangle is infection versus infectiousness. These aren't formal concepts, it's just a good way of thinking about it. You can be infected, meaning that the virus has entered your cell and has replicated. It doesn't mean you're infectious. It doesn't mean you're a threat to other people. In fact, there's going to be a cycle of infection that happens within your body. Early on, you might not be a threat to others. Later in the infection, you might not be a threat to others. But at some point in the middle, when you've got a lot of viral load, that's when you can infect other people. That's when you're infectious. So I would argue that from a public health standpoint, we care more about your infectious status than we do about your infection status, even though you probably care about the infection status because that has an impact on the treatments that you will take and your long-term health and so forth. You've heard of the PCR test. PCR stands for the polymerase chain reaction test. A PCR is a technology that allows us to amplify genetic signal, uh, DNA or RNA. So if you have a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of viral RNA in your body, the PCR process can amplify it enormously so we can detect it. So it's possible that you can be very, very early on in an infection and have a tiny bit of uh, RNA from the virus in you. We can detect it with PCR. Or maybe you were infected a long time ago and there's a residual bit of viral RNA still in you. The PCR can detect that as well because it's so highly sensitive. As a result, the PCR test is excellent for determining if you are infected, if the virus has a presence in your body. On the other hand, the antigen tests do not test for that at all. What is an antigen test? Well, an antigen is anything that can trigger an immune response. And usually it's a molecule on the surface of the pathogen, of the virus, a protein typically. And um, it's, it's specific to that disease usually. So a rapid antigen test, a rat, is an assay that detects the presence of that antigen. And if that antigen is present, the implication is that the person is infectious. They are uh, a threat to other people. So rat tests are good at determining if you are infectious. If you're infectious, you're infected. If you're infected, 
you're not necessarily infectious. So this chart, graph, image gives us uh, a way of understanding that distinction between infected and infectious. On the vertical axis, we see the viral load, how much virus is in your body. On the x-axis, we see the time since exposure. So over time, you're going to increase your viral load, and as time goes on, your viral load will decrease until finally it goes away. The PCR test is so sensitive, it can detect viral load at almost all points of your infection. Early on, it's missing some, and later on, it's missing some. But for most of it, you're going to get highly sensitive testing. You're going to get some false negatives on the tail ends. On the other hand, the rapid tests are really only useful in this phase when there is a lot of viral load present. Now, that might seem like a failure, but really, this is also when you're a threat to other people. So that's when we care about it. So the rapid tests are fantastic in determining if you are a threat to other people. It is, as one expert puts it, a public health test, not a diagnostic test, not a surveillance test. Now, Omicron has complicated this a little bit. It seems that in some cases, Omicron can be infectious before there's sufficient viral load to trigger a positive rat test. And that's not because the rat test has failed, it's because Omicron is just so incredibly infectious. So as a result, the guidance is uh, if you get symptoms and you think it's Omicron, if you test right away, you'll probably get a negative because there isn't sufficient viral load yet there. If you test the next day, that's when you'll get your positive test. So wait a day and test then. Dr. Michael Mina has provided this image to better explain what's going on with Omicron. Um, it's a complicated slide, but if you go down to the bottom here, you see these orange men. They determine the days at which you are infectious with your infection. And the blue is when you're no longer infectious, but the PCR test can still pick you up. And in these days here, this is when the rat test will give you a positive result. But you'll see that early on here, there is a day or two where it's going to miss it. Now let's talk about the qualities of a test. How do we measure a test's performance? You've heard of these things before, sensitivity and specificity. Sensitivity is the ability of the test to detect a diseased person. So if you're testing a bunch of people in a sample, if there is someone in there who has got the disease, what's the probability that the test will find them? That's the sensitivity. On the other hand, if there's someone there who doesn't have the disease, the specificity is the probability that the test will clear them, will determine that they are correctly uh, not diseased. There are these other two constructs that might be new to many of you. The PPV, the positive predictive value, and the NPV, the negative predictive value. The PPV tells us the confidence with which we can imbue a positive result. So if you test positive, what's the probability that you really are positive? And the NPV tells you, if you test negative, what's the probability that you really are negative? Now these things sound all the same, I understand. So if, if it's your first time hearing about this stuff, it's going to be confusing. Um, but bear with me. Hopefully it'll make some sense as we continue on. But they are distinct concepts. This uh, image on the side might be useful, might not. It looks a little confusing to me. 
when we compute sensitivity and specificity in PPV and NPV, we do so by using a contingency table. And this is what a contingency table looks like. It's called a contingency table because what's in here is contingent upon what's over there. And the way it's set up is this. The, uh, the horizontal lines are the results of the rat test. The first one is the positive results. If you test positive on a rat, it means you think you've got the disease. If you test negative, you think you don't have the disease. The vertical one is our gold standard, truth. Every test, when assessed this way, is, a, is assessed relative to the truth. You don't know the truth, though. We use another test, a better test, to establish that truth. With the best cancer screening, you used a biopsy, which tells you absolutely if you've got cancer or not, and it, it tests whether or not the uh, cancer screening is accurate. With the rat tests, we compare it to the PCR results, because PCR is considered to be the gold standard. So what you do is you take a sample of people, 100 people, you give them all rapid tests, and you give them all PCR tests, and you compare to see how well the rat tests get the same results as the PCR tests, because you're assuming the PCR test is right all the time. Guess what? The PCR test is not right all the time. And frankly, they're testing different things, as I think I've explained. The rat test is testing for the presence of an antigen, therefore for infectiousness, and the PCR is testing for the presence of uh, viral RNA, therefore for infection. So keep that in mind, that even though we use this setup to determine the qualities of the rat test, it's an unfair way of doing it, because you're comparing it to something that's testing for something entirely different. Okay, so on this, on this chart, let's see if you can determine where the false positives are. What's a false positive? It's when the rat test thinks it's a positive, so this line here, but it's really a negative. That's going to be this one here. The PCR test, which is God's honest truth, supposedly, is telling us that this number here, B, is in fact not diseased, but the rat test thinks it is diseased. So that's going to be our false positive. The false negative, on the other hand, is going to be when the rat test thinks it's a negative, but the PCR tells us it's actually a positive. That's going to be C. All right. And by the way, I know I'm saying rat test, and the T already stands for test, so I'm being redundant. I understand that. It's like NDP party. But uh, let's not get too pedantic here. I'm recording this at 1 a.m. <laughs> All right. So um, how do we compute sensitivity and specificity? Now, sensitivity, again, is the probability of correctly diagnosing a positive result. And so what we do there is we find all of the truly positive results, this column here, and see how many the rat test got. A. So A out of A plus C. That's sensitivity. Similarly, specificity tells us the probability of correctly identifying someone who doesn't have the disease. So who doesn't have the disease? This column here. The PCR tells us God's honest truth, so all those people don't have the disease. And the rat test confirms that D number of people don't have the disease. So D over B plus D is the proportion of the truly non-diseased that the rat test correctly identifies. For the PPV, the positive predictive value, the proportion of all the people the rat test thinks is positive who truly are positive. 
that's PPV. The MPV similarly is the proportion of all the people the rat test thinks is negative who truly are negative. So to my mind, the NPV is the most important measure for the conversation we're having right now. Because when applying these rat tests to people going back to work or in the population in general, what we care about is the ability to clear people of infection. Like you're going back to work, uh, you claim you're not infected, we give you a rapid test, and it says you're not infected. Fantastic. How can we be confident in that finding? That's what the NPV tells us. How confident are we that your negative finding truly is negative? So this is a summary of these uh, formulas, these concepts. One more complicated thing we have to think about is pretest probability. Ay, 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 there's so much that goes into understanding tests. And this is really just the tip of the iceberg here, frankly. There's so much more. But I think it's important that people understand that it matters how much you suspect someone of being diseased. Why? Because if we think you really are diseased, but the test says you're not, we're going to be suspicious of the test. If you think you really are free of disease and the test says you are, we're going to be suspicious of the test. So it matters how much we suspect your disease. And how is that determined? Well, if you've got symptoms, there's a good chance you've got the disease. If you've been exposed to someone who has the disease, there's a good chance you've got the disease. If the community prevalence is high, as it is with Omicron, there's a good chance you've got the disease. As a result, we're going to distrust negative results in those scenarios. So if uh, this is you, if you've got symptoms and you've been exposed and Omicron is uh, surging through your community and you test negative, well, maybe you should test again. So if you test twice, the probability of both of them being negative, 24 hours apart, is much lower. And that fills us with more confidence. That's, we call that serial or orthogonal testing. And that's a great way to overcome the limitations of the tests in that sense. So here's a summary of some of the research that's been done on the Abbott Labs uh, PanBio, or Binax now, same, same test. Um, this shows us uh, in symptomatic or asymptomatic populations uh, how they computed the sensitivity, specificity, PPV, and MPV. So if you look at here, the Abbott Labs own study of symptomatic people. So the symptomatic, meaning we strongly suspect that they've got COVID, the NPV is a mere 79.7%. That's, that's pretty low, actually. And that makes sense. It says that uh, we think you've got the disease, and the test is saying you don't have the disease. So the test might be wonky. On the other hand, if you're symptomatic, the PPV is 99%, close to 100%. So and that's a, a characteristic of these rapid tests in general. If you test positive, you can probably take that to the bank. You probably are positive. If you test negative, we're going to have to investigate a bit further. So, what do we do with scant supplies, as we have now? Well, in my opinion, that's what IMHO stands for, in my humble opinion, if the rats are scarce, we have to use them strategically for the people who really need them. Who really needs them? The people who need to get back to work. They're in isolation right now. So if you're known to be infected, or you're strongly suspected of being infected, and you're in isolation, you can wait out your time, whatever that time happens to be, and that's debatable, 
right now the CDC and Ontario are saying five days, which to my mind is not an evidence-based approach. Others would say 10 days. Um, and then go back to work. Or you wait until you have no symptoms, then test twice, 24 hours apart. If the finding is negative on both of those tests, then the NPV is now very, very high indeed. And I would have great confidence that, in fact, you are not infectious and therefore not a threat to others, and therefore you can go back to work. So all of what we just learned is applied here. The pretest probability is low that you're infected, or rather that you're infectious because you've got no symptoms. And a negative rat test tells us you probably aren't infectious. Just to be safe, we do it again 24 hours later because the NPV is low according to these studies. And that fills us with more confidence. So that's how we use these tests in this context. That brings up some equity issues. So who needs these tests? Well, the people who need to get back to work. Who need to get back to work? People who are isolating and people who cannot work from home. That means essential workers, people who work with their hands, low-income people very often. And ironically, tragically ironically, they're the ones least able to get these tests. Who gets these tests? Well, I get these tests. I have a small business, and therefore I go online, I sign up to the Shoppers Drug Mart portal, I pay $14, and I get a box of 25. That's not really the best way of using these tests in the current climate, given the sudden scarcity of them. Uh, also, people who can pay a lot of money out of pocket can get these tests. Order online, go to Walmart, pay some exorbitant fee uh, to get a box of 25 tests. That's not most people. So there is a disconnect here between those who need it and those who get it. So to my mind, we really should be reapplying the distribution of these tests to where it can affect transmission the most. And we do so by making sure that the people most likely to transmit, essential workers, those who have to go to work, are the ones most and best armed to control their infectious status with rat tests. Um, it's a big problem. And of course, equity continues to be a large issue throughout this pandemic. Pandemics have a way of exacerbating the cracks in society, and this one has been extraordinarily good at that. It's exacerbated uh, divisions politically, geographically, by age, by race, and certainly by socioeconomic status. The people who are most likely to be infected are the working poor. The people least likely to be vaccinated are the working poor. The people least able to distance the working poor. The people least able to afford and have access to mitigation tools like high-quality masks and HEPA filters and to be able to isolate when they're at home, the working poor. So over and over again, this pandemic beats down upon a certain slice of the population that we continuously underserve. And we're doing so once again by denying that slice of the population access to this most important control tool, the rapid antigen test. End of sermon. Thank you very much. Oh, by the way, this is a uh, pre-recorded presentation, so I can't take questions, but again, uh, send them to my Twitter account or my website if you have any comments.